walked among us and God who spurs us ever on. Amen. Amen. I don't often watch a movie or read a book for a second time. It's not because I have a great ability to recall what happened. I guess it's just that there are so many books, so many movies, and so little time. One of the exceptions to that rule for me is City Slickers. You may remember that movie from the 90s, it sounds like you do, starring Billy Crystal. That movie I wanted to see a second and even a third time, and I think I paid to see it at least twice. Perhaps because it makes me laugh. Perhaps because in the midst of its humor, it holds some poignant life lessons. It tells the story of three men who had been friends for a very long time, and every year they planned some sort of adventure vacation together. One year, these city dwellers decided to go to a dude ranch in New Mexico. It was only after they arrived they learned they would be working on their vacation. Their assignment would be to move a herd of cattle from the ranch in New Mexico to the owner's second ranch in Colorado. These men were not cowboys by any stretch of the imagination, and they were very much out of shape. The assignment grew worse for them when they met their leader for this adventure, the trail boss named Curly. Curly was about as gruff and grumpy as they come. And several days into their assignment, Curly had definitely had it with these three out of shape New York City slickers, as he called them. While he and Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, were working on a project together, Curly snarled at him. You don't know this, he said, and held up his index finger. I don't know what, Billy Crystal asked, your finger? <laughs> no, Curly replied, you don't know one thing. He went on to explain that only one thing is most important in our lives. Each one of us has to discover what that one thing is for us, and then we have to live our lives accordingly. Who knew this grumpy old trail boss would be a theologian? I wonder how we, how you, and how I, both as community and individually, would answer that question. What one thing have we decided is most important in our lives? And how do we live our lives according to that decision? How do we answer that question, both with our words and through our actions? How do we answer it? for Udo, who was just baptized this morning and is now part of our community? How do we answer it for our children and grandchildren, for our Sunday school students and fellow parishioners, for our neighbors and work colleagues? What one thing is most important in your life? It seems that is the question the Pharisee is asking Jesus in today's Gospel from Matthew. It is the last week of Jesus' earthly life following his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey on Sunday, the religious authorities are looking for ways to trip Jesus up. There are two religious parties in view in this 22nd chapter of Matthew's Gospel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I would adventure a third party is present as well, the party of Jesus and his followers. These religious parties are vying for power, giving them something in common with today's political parties. 
Now, I haven't been watching the Republican debates except the highlights I get on the evening news, though it looks like this would have been a good week to have been watching. It's interesting to me that these debates seem to have a way of bringing out the worst in some of the candidates. Their ratings, indeed their whole political future, can rise or fall in one evening of questions and answers. That seems to be the hope of the religious parties in today's gospel, that they can end Jesus' rise in popularity as a religious leader. Fearing his power and his following, the religious parties are looking for grounds to arrest Jesus. They're hoping to end his career, indeed his very life, with one trick question. Last week, we heard the story of the Pharisees trying to catch Jesus with their question about whether or not it was lawful to pay taxes to the Roman emperor. They were amazed at his answer, and they left. They went away. We've skipped over the story of the Sadducees, the party that did not believe in the resurrection. They asked Jesus about the hypothetical woman who had been married seven times, wanting to know whose wife she would be in the resurrection. Jesus' reply that marriage won't be necessary in the resurrection left this group astounded at his teaching, and they went away. Now the Pharisees are back. I wonder whether they've been huddling during this time to come up with the next best question for Jesus. The questioner for this round is a lawyer, one who knows the law very well. He asked Jesus, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? This may seem like an easy, straightforward question to us because we know Jesus' answer. In fact, we know it so well that many of us can recite it from memory. But when we recall there were some 613 commandments in the Mosaic law, we can appreciate this was quite a challenge the lawyer was putting before Jesus. The rabbis were constantly engaged in discussion about which of the commandments was the greatest. Yet there were some who said all the commandments were of equal value. To say one was more important than another was to play God and therefore was sinful. Jesus' answer to the lawyer's question, which commandment in the law is the greatest, is to quote a portion of the Shema, that prayer from Deuteronomy that faithful Jews recite every day. It would be, could be considered the creed of the Jewish faith. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Jesus quickly adds a verse from Leviticus. The second, he says, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We recall Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that he had come not to abolish but to fulfill the law and the prophets. He hasn't changed anything. He hasn't gotten rid of anything. He hasn't elevated one commandment over another. He has conveniently summarized them for us. Jesus is not the first to put these two commandments together. They're paired together in a Jewish document of the first century called the Testament of Issachar. And Hillel, a rabbi living a few decades before Jesus, was asked to recite the entire Torah while standing on one foot. That which is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and study it, he said. What is new to Jesus is that the two commandments are intertwined. 
I've often wondered why the lawyer didn't say, wait a minute, Jesus, I asked you for one commandment and you gave me two. But the two are so interwoven that one is not valid without the other. They really do function as one commandment. If loving God is the most important thing in our lives, loving our neighbors will flow automatically from our love of God. If we love God with our all, we will love and care for all God has created. If we love God with our all, we will strive to, lo strive to love all as God loves. We will love those beings that bear God's image. It was Matthew who quoted Jesus as saying, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick and in prison, you visited me. The disciples wondered when it was they had fed or clothed or visited their Lord. What you have done to the least of these, you have done to me, he told them. Loving our neighbor is one way we love God. Jesus has also expanded and radicalized the definition of neighbor. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has told us we must love even our enemies, even those who hurt us. Now Luke tells this same story of the exchange between Jesus and the lawyer, though in his telling it comes earlier in Jesus' ministry, and it lacks the hostility between the two that we find in Matthew's version. In fact, as Luke tells the story, it is the Pharisee who gives the summary of the law, and then he turns to Jesus and asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. It seems there is no one who falls outside the definition of neighbor. The love Jesus speaks of is not so much a feeling of affection as it is a pledge of loyalty and commitment. Emotions can't be commanded. Actions and commitment can. We won't feel towards everyone that overflowing warmth in our hearts that we feel for our spouse or partner, for our child or niece or nephew, or for our close friend. But we can commit to care for those who cross our path as the Samaritan cared for the stranger he happened upon. Only one who loves God completely can have the strength to imitate our Creator's generosity and show love to all God's creation. It is that kind of love we are called to strive towards. God is love, and when God's love makes a home in us, we reach out to the people God brings into our lives. As the famous Beatles song goes, all we need is love. As Christians, we know the answer to Curly's question. God is the most important thing in our lives. Knowing the answer is the easy part. The challenge is how we live into that answer. We gather here week by week because we love God. At the end of our service, we are dismissed with the words, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. As we leave this place, we show our love for God by loving and serving God's people. How will you do that? Some will walk this afternoon to raise awareness in our community for those who are homeless. Some will gather this evening to learn about the many challenges immigrants face in our country and indeed in our community. We'll begin this evening to look at what we can do to make a difference. 
Some this week will provide a meal or a ride to those in our church family who are ill. Others will restock our food pantry to serve those in our community who are hungry. It's that time of year when we're invited to think about our financial commitment to St. Anne's, the portion of treasure that makes possible what is done on our behalf in this community and beyond. How will you live out your complete love of God? How will you show in word and in deed that God is the one most important thing in your life? Amen. Amen.